So Sharpie, what do you think about that? Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Like that a lot. Yeah, I just got into this band, Based, uh, which is Danish, I believe, for Beast. They're kind of like a you know, modern version of Bolt Throwers. It's pretty cool. You listen to anything similar to that? or? Do you like Power Trip? Uh, you know what? I, I've heard of them, and the singer passed away. Was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't really know much about them, though. Start with the Executioner's Axe and go from there. Is it similar to that, is it? Uh, it's just an outstanding track. It's yeah. just so good, yeah. Cool. Well, I think um, we listen to music. It's the, the Vinyl Revelations podcast is going to be a bit like that. We're going to listen to, to music, and it's, but it's, it's not a review show. It's going to be a discussion centred around the albums and the bands that uh, each of us uh, have a relationship to. Uh, it'll be both new music and old music. Sometimes it'll be music that I like, and sometimes it'll be music that, Sharpie, you maybe don't like, and vice versa. And vice versa, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not, you know, when we were thinking about what we were doing with this podcast, we were thinking, what is the purpose of of kind of, of a podcast, and what is the purpose of kind of like a music review? Like, in the 90s or, you know, in the 2000s, you'd buy your copy of Metal Hammer or Krang, and, you know, part of it was to discover new bands, part of it was to have a relationship with, you know, read about what these bands were up to. But actually, one of the key things was actually a, a kind of like a guide for what you were going to spend your money on. What do you think about that, Sharpie? Yeah, I think the way we consume music has changed so much since the days where the music media... It's physical, yeah. Principally physical. The, the printed music, music media was so heavily lent on... F- for that, so you can Google anything yeah. and find it. You can go on YouTube and it'll lead you down rabbit holes with bands and yeah, yeah. shows and gigs and whatever. So the the way we consume music now is is is, is very very different. I still like to have those types of media. Though I would still like to go in and buy my copy of 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 Metal Hammer because mm. it, it it makes me feel connected still. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think, I mean, it's like anything, you know, it's basically word of mouth, you know, if, if that restaurant's good, somebody will say, oh, you should try that out, blah, 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 blah. Um, this podcast is more along, along the lines of discussing why we like those albums and how did it affect us or what was its relationship to us and our lives. So, you know, it's not going to be like Oprah Winfrey and Meghan Markle and all that crap, but <laughs> we're going to be just talking about stuff and we hope that, um, you know, you find some affinity with it. Um, yeah, so it's definitely not going to be the sort of, uh, you know, restaurant review of, uh, you know, XY album that's come out this week or whatever. But if you are willing to pay us to do that, we will do that. Uh, we, yeah, there's a bit of dead airspace there. We're, we're still learning. Um, the first album we're going to be talking about is, well, it's one of the biggest albums in history. In history. Yeah. Um, and I remember, um, uh, actually, I was on a summer camp in France, and just everybody, everywhere, was wearing the same T-shirts and was listening to the same set of songs. What album might that have been, Sharpie? That will be Metallica's Black Album. Boom! Yes. Absolutely massive album. Big sound. Uh, I mean, it's a classic. I mean, it's, yeah... And I'm sure everybody has some... Any, anybody who is over 30 has a relationship. In fact, no, everybody has a relationship with that album. Everybody, I think it's still, yeah. like, I like an iTunes, like, I, like charts or something. It's still, like, the like top 10 or something, you know. I never have to hear Enter Sandman again. I love the song and I love the album. But I, at the same time, I never need to hear Enter Sandman again. That's that's true, but it is it is pretty cool when you see them live. Have you seen Metallica live? I've seen them live, yeah. yeah. Seen them live a couple of times. The big day out in uh, 97? Mm-hmm. Oh no, 2007. And um, the Death Magnetic Tour oh, right. in Manchester. Sweet, yeah. Machine Heads supported, and it was a... It was a lovely time. Lovely time, yeah, yeah. I've seen Metallica, let me think. I've seen them uh, three times, actually. Yeah, the first time I saw them was 2003 in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and Linkin Park and The Darkness were supporting them. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, a good time. That was pretty cool. I think that was the St. Anger Tour. And, um, oh, um, snare. Yeah. And then I saw them in Germany 
I think that must have been 2010, so I think that might have been sort of death magnetic time, but I don't think it was specifically supporting that. And then I saw them uh, in Glasgow in the Hardwired tour, uh, which was really cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, this, this podcast, um, we, we're going to be talking about um, where we are from. We are from um, the northeast of Scotland, you know, the north of the island of Great Britain. Um, so uh, we live in the area of Edinburgh, uh, but we're both from a city further north called Aberdeen. Um, so if you're familiar with that neck of the woods, if you work in the oil industry, you might, you might have uh, uh, darkened our door uh, <laughs> at some point. Um, and yeah, I think uh, if you like music, if you like discussion, I think you might enjoy spending time with us. The first album that we're going to explore is Metallica's self-titled, or also known as the Black Album, which I know Stuart uh, knows quite well. And the other one later on is going to be Pantera's 92 album, Vulgar Display of Power. Um, so Metallica's Black Album, it's uh, their fifth studio album, um, the statistics of this album are really quite incredible. It debuted at number one in 10 countries. Um, it's one of the best-selling metal albums of all time, uh, 16 times platinum. And Rolling Stone uh, ranked it 255 on their 500, not just best album, uh, metal albums of all time, but of their overall albums of all time. This isn't actually my favourite Metallica album. Stuart, is, is it your favourite Metallica album? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I was thinking... Um, I'd, probably, I'd probably say no, but it has the most recognisable songs. And, um, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned there, but with the statistics, uh, it clearly has the biggest appeal um, across... Uh, you know, wider society outside the sort of metal and hard rock and sort of guitar orientated uh, music. Um, is it my favourite album? Mm. Well, I tend to be one of these people that sort of fluctuates between and how I'm feeling, but I would say it's not my favourite Metallica album. And because that's really interesting, would you class yourself as a Metallica fan then? Yes, but. Um, I would say I was never, um, uh, like, how would you say, like, a Metallica nut. Um, yeah. I think um, for the audience, who, who are David and I? Well, we are um, late 30-year-old uh, men from uh, the northeast of Scotland uh, living um, in uh, near Edinburgh. And, uh, you know, so we went to school from, well, secondary school from, what, 90. Uh, 92? About that, yeah, about that. So 92, um, and obviously in, in, in the UK, uh, we call it secondary school. In America and other places, it's junior high and high school. I don't know what the equivalent thing would be there. but So um, uh, so my first memory of, of, uh, of Metallica um, actually was, I think it must have been the summer of, I'm going to say 92 or 93, and I was on a, um, again, maybe... Um, local Scottish people might know this, but I was in the Boys Brigade and we were on a summer uh, camp tour in France. And I was one of the younger ones, but all the older kids, and I mean all of the older guys, were wearing these black Metallica t-shirts with the skull, the sort of pharaoh skull mummy uh, logo insignia. Is that the Posshead artwork? I, I, you know what, I don't know, but just basically everybody had them. Uh, yeah. And I just remember, <clears throat> um, you know, it was that summer seemed to be a really hot, well, you know, it was in France, but you know, uh, this, this is just my first memory of the Metallica. Um, and everybody was playing that album, you know, it just, yeah. it was just everywhere. And again, for <laughs> our younger listeners, when I mean everywhere, um, you know, we had a much small, much more controlled media, uh, music media landscape. Um, so there was two or three shows on radio and maybe one on, well, I don't think there was any rock show. 
Domestic TV was there shortly? I can't remember. No, I mean there was uh, MTV Headbangers Ball, and it was uh, Enter Sandman. The video for that was pretty relentless on that. I remember yeah. that quite clearly. Occasionally yeah. you get the Unforgiven as well, but um, yeah, particularly on 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 MTV, um, you would you would see Enter Sandman kind of relentlessly, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, just thinking about that, um, there was a, a documentary on about the sort of. Uh, on, on, I presume it's like BBC Television, uh, and it was a sort of documentary on the Donington gig from that tour. I think mm-hmm. I put that on to you not long ago, Sharpie. Um, and it, oh, no, what is it? Donington Bowl? Is that the right? Uh, there was um, the Milton Keynes Bowl. Uh, uh, Donington moved. Right. Well, uh, what was Monsters of Rock kind of moved for for a few years to the Milton Keynes Bowl? Well, obviously, I mean, I think most people are aware that, um, you know, with the Black Album, um, there was a kind of a very interesting, uh, was it the year and a half Binge and Purge tour? Yeah, so there was kind of two things came came out of, you know, the whole uh, Black Album thing. There was um, a year and a half in the life of Metallica, which was the... in the excruciating making of the thing, and then there was a live ship binge and purge, which was um, just it was a box set that, right. that was doc. It was 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 a full full cons, concert of you know of of that tour cycle. Sorry, I just got a phone call there. <laughs> Teething problem. Um, yeah, it's you know what that's what happens. I just I find that like you know. Nobody contacts me for days and days and days, and I do nothing. <laughs> and then, you know, all of a sudden, everything seems to happen at once. It's, it's like when I touch it outside of its, my house or outside of the regular, suddenly all hell breaks loose, and I have no idea. No. Um, Somebody trying to sell you insurance or something. Were you in a crash? No, I wasn't in a crash. Six, five, four, three, four, six. I have no idea who that is. Yeah. Um, Right, we can edit that out. But anyway, so um, yes, yeah, so there was the the uh, year and a half, uh, which was the making of yeah. the documentary, but it also had some tour documentary as well, or or um, interviews on the roads type thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, that that kind of tied in with this kind of BBC one-off um, like kind of documentary, and it was about how at I'm pretty sure it was Donington. And this was back in the early days, you know, and they had, um, you know, uh, uh, interviews with the, like the like ticket touts and, you know, people, uh, you know, selling shirts, you know, official merchandise, non-official merchandise. And then there's mm-hmm. the road through and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the support bands, it's, it's, it's available on YouTube, like most things are. Um, but that's uh, in my sort of uh, uh, memory timeline, they kind of uh, cross over. So it was the sort of thing that my dad would watch and he would have, yeah, kind of like, you know, um, maybe he wouldn't have liked the music, but uh, I would say now my dad does like uh, uh, the sound of the Black Album. He wouldn't get, he wouldn't be annoyed if it was uh, put on in the house, you know. Um, but so, Sharpie, you were saying it was it was number one in in, in uh, a lot of countries. Was it number one in the UK, or, or what, what countries was it number one in? Oh God, I don't, I don't have a definitive list to my hand, but it was. I mean the US and 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 I think it must have been the UK as well. I, I, I would I would need to have a look, but it, yeah, I mean this, the statistics of it are, are, are just ridiculous. But kind of going going back, I would say I'm a Metallica fan and a pretty big one at that. But again, yeah. it's not my favorite Metallica album. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know if it's because at the time you couldn't escape it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's almost a, no, a bit of oversaturation from it as well. And it was interesting. I'd, I'd not heard it for a while. And this past kind of week or so is the most I've, I've listened to it for quite a while. And, um, you know, there's there's inescapable big hits of this album. And yeah. there's no no two ways about it. You know, some of the yeah. greatest have created on this album. But at the same time, kind of looking through some of the the reviews of it, like Pitchfork, Kind of seven-ish out of ten, Rolling Stone four out of five, and Classic Rock four out of five. You would think for such a big album with so many 
worldwide sales, it would be a stick on 10 out of 10 album. And it's actually not. And as you go through the album and remind yourself of the album, you can kind of understand why. Because is there an argument that this album's too long by at least one, if not two songs? Well, I I might agree with that, actually. But I have to tell you the prism of my experience with it. So uh, I've actually never owned an official copy of this album. Right, right. I basically had a cassette copy, um, and of course, a cassette uh, was forty-five minutes on both sides. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I remember uh, in my um, uh, naivety that the, the the last album of the song, I think, was "The God That Failed." And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that there was the two other songs afterwards until quite a long time after. And when I listen to it now, I do feel that it's probably a little bit longer. But I, yeah. Um, Kind of uh, a kind of rule in my head that an album should not be more than eight, ten, or twelve songs, and it yeah. should not much. It should it, it should be more than thirty five minutes, but not more than fifty minutes, unless yeah. exceptional thing. But that's just the kind it's of like, yeah. yeah. And that's just it though, because it's like I'm I, I've got a kind of similar experience to this album as you like around the time. It was inescapable. Um, We listened to this album over and over again. And I remember um, kind of second or third year coming up to the summer holidays and we would do a a charity walk of about kind of five or six miles. And, um, you know, kind of young teens, not much to do on a fucking long walk. So um, one of our mutual friends would take a couple of tapes on this Walkman, some spare batteries, and uh, this ratty plug-in speaker. And we would play this, you know, the Black Album over and over and over, over again on this on this walk. And um, I, th- I, I kind of think we got a bit, bit saturated with it um, at the time. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, especially when a lot of these songs are, are played live as well, you know, that some of the big hitter songs are, are played so often live, you kind of don't really want to hear them that often kind of after that point. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting going back, listening to this album after, you know, a good break and some of the, listening to some, some of the deeper cuts. And, you know, there, I, I, I think there, possibly is um you know if if don't tread on me you know if, if they'd finished the first side with wherever i may roam and then cracked on to through the never on the on the on the first of the the second side that would have been incredible but don't tread on me it's an okay riff it's kind of got some silly lyrics and it's songs like that that i Listening to it now, I wonder if there's a bit of a, a dating thing going on that some of the production, um, the production is sounding just a just a bit dated. Some of the additional synthesizer noises, the very subtle ones, in the in the Unforgiven, um, don't tread on me. To me, just sounds a bit dated now. And then, like you say, at, at the end of of the second side, there's uh, My Friend of Misery and Struggle Within. And My Friend of Misery, I just kind of don't really know wh- what it adds to I, the I, album. I quite like that song, because I, I quite like the sort of um, the spaghetti western acoustic bit in the middle. Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I'm looking at the track listing here. Probably, if you if you'd been very ruthless, you could have said, yeah, let's cut the first side at track five, wherever I might roll. Let's get rid of Don't Tread On Me. That could be a good um, B-side or a special edition type thing. Let's start the second side, balls balls in your face through the never. um, And then finish off with uh, My Friend of Misery. And again, Struggle Within could be another B-side or a special edition thing. I mean, Mm. as you said, like Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning, which are the preeminent, I think, Metallica albums, um, they are both, uh, you know, and, and they, obviously they were um, um, 
records of the vinyl record uh, era specifically. Yeah. So they four sides, uh, four songs per side, eight songs yeah. total. Yeah. Both. And it makes it, uh, psychologically, it makes it very easy to remember all the song mm. names. When, I think when you get over 10 to 12 songs, you st- the, the, it becomes a little bit more difficult just to remember the names of all of them. Um, so, and I mean, like, Kill Em All, the first one, I think it had 10 songs as well. Um, but then with the advent of the CD, uh, you know, the, the capacity, um, uh, you know, increased to sort of 70 minutes. And I think Load yeah. is... Uh, like almost uh well load and reload are basically the same album just split in two um um so yeah uh yeah but uh, getting back to the um sort of the saturation and sort of high school memories i i very much recall when we were in secondary school um there there, there was sort of um there was sort of three musical groups um there was the kids who were into like rave and acid and uh, like <laughs> Uh, garage or whatever that sort of you know was a very popular uh, uh, music of the early 90s in the UK um, and then you had the kind of the rock side and the rock side was basically Metallica or Nirvana <laughs> and it was the kind of more um, um, quiet introspective arty ones that were the sort of Nirvana side of things and yeah. the more aggressive uh, uh, or what you say I would <laughs> I was going to say sporty types, but we, it, that sort of brings me up to sort of like American high school typologies. It doesn't really exist in the UK, but, you know, there was that kind of, there was those sort of groups. Yeah. In, in school. It's, I mean, it's it's interesting because looking back on that, that now, you, you know, if you were to pick up a, like Metal Hammer and kind of Krang, if you can find a copy, that, you know, their party line is that, grunge killed metal in the 90s and both the albums that are about to, to look at are really quite interesting because I don't remember that being the case like you I remember this whole mishmash of music and you know I was as much into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and um, Rancid and, 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 and bands like that as, as I was into Metallica Anthrax and Slayer and it was all very mood dependent and some people were into some things more than others, but grunge, as some of you kind of lived through, it didn't kill metal because these these two things changed and adapted. You had the post-grunge thing after that where, you know, Creed and Nickelback and, and whatever, that kind of devolved into one thing. And then after kind of this, load and um kind of vulgar display of power as well you had the the new metal thing as well and then you had you know the likes of the triviums um event sevenfolds as well kind of who were all kind of very influenced from this so it was actually a really really healthy music scene and i went back and looked at the top 10 albums of, of both these years actually and it's and, and the diversity of them is actually really quite interesting. So the top 10 albums of 1991, along with the Black Album, were Temple of the Dog, Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger, Aussies, No More Tears, R.E.M. Out of Time, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, Pearl Jam's 10, and Nirvana's Nevermind. So... Music was definitely changing and there was a new thing happening. But metal was still around, still really healthy around this time. And all it did was adapt for a while, I think. Um, Metallica knew, I think, that they couldn't make another Unjustice for All. And I don't think they particularly wanted to either. And I don't think they would have, have been anywhere near as big if they had come up with such a technical and progressive album as as um, Justice for All. I mean, even now, it's it's actually quite an odd album to listen to f- from the production side because all you hear is beating drums and beating rhythm guitar with a very angry James Hetfield singing on, on, on top of it, you know. 
Whereas this, this has got texture and nuance and bass guitar and actually the one thing that, that's a thread through this whole album is Jason Newstead's bass and how it actually creates a bit of a swing and a groove yeah. to a lot of these songs, you know. Um, Whenever I May Roam is a, you know, a good good example. It's, you know, and go look, watching A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, there was a bit of resistance to these production techniques being, being brought in, even though Metallica and particularly Lars Ulrich went out to seek out Bob Rock for, for that very reason. They were still kind of resistant to it, which is, 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 that, is actually a little bit strange when you think about it. Um, and they have kind of fights and hassles and, you know, all sorts. And Bob Rock ends up taking the piss out of them. So like, you know, a ballad. I mean, the guys from Anthrax would, would just, you know, take the, you know, take the piss out of them if they made something nice and pretty, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, back back in, in, the, in those times, uh, you know, the, like the, what's, what's the word, the tribes of, of people in terms, you know, the identification of themselves, music, uh, you know, like, it, it was uh, a sort of, a substitute for a gang, yeah. I suppose, you know. Um, yeah, and it, it, that's always been the case up until the last sort of, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I would have said, uh, you know. So, yeah, like, you know, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Metallica were kind of famous for, you know, having a quote-unquote ballad on, mm. on um, Ride the Light, you know, um, which can, was a kind of an anathema to you know, a thrash band. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it probably, maybe it helps having like a, you know, a European sort of uh, sentiment in, in, the, in the form of uh, Lars Ulrich to a kind of, uh, you know, because remember where Metallica are from, you know, they, were, they sort of grew up in uh, San Francisco and then, or no, Los Angeles, and then they went to San Francisco, I can't remember. You know, Los Angeles would have been like, you know, glam rock, Motley Crue, um, you know, which sort of uh, turned from kind of like, a, well, initially I suppose Motley Crue were kind of a little bit on the edge. You know, mm -hmm. they looked, well, even though they were sort of bondage gear, you know, it looked, uh, it looked a little bit sort of satanic. And remember, we've got to think about this as nineteen eighty. Yeah. You know, and then they sort of cock rock thing, you know, and you know bands like Poison and Def Leppard, you know, which was much more about you know, you know, getting laid rather than shouting at the devil. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you know, so Metallica were always kind of keen to, you know, be the not the hard kid or something like that, but they were they were keen to sort of just um, be how would I say it? true? Well, obviously true to themselves, but uh, eke out a kind of uh, a unique sort of well tribe, yeah, I think, mm -hmm. you know, and that you know the 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 further down that sort of uh, lineage of tribes, you know, you would have Slayer kids who were you know like carving. <laughs> carving Slayer into their uh, yeah, forearm yeah. and, you know, getting tattoos and, you know, in the back of their heads and stuff like that, you know. Uh, yeah, I think Metallica were just, you know, were conscious of what they were doing. And as, as was sort of intimating with Lars Ulrich, at least being from a kind of more European, let's just say for the sake of argument, and I can't think of a better word, a sort of more gentler or more um, circumspect kind of way of thinking or viewing the world. He's saying, yeah, why can't we have a, a you know, uh, an acoustic guitar in a thrash metal album. Well, why can't you? Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's do it. Oh, we're cool. Right, let's try this. You know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's always good that uh, you, you challenge stuff. But, I mean, obviously, Bob Rock was the, you know, he, he had come from Motley Crue. I think he did the, uh, what was it, Kickstart My Heart was the album, which had the massive hit Girls, Girls, yeah. Girls. And actually... When you hear when you hear the riff, Doctor Feelgood, you know it is a heavy riff, and it really, you know, it helps. It's detuned, but the way it sounds, it's like a boom. Um, and having come from, you know, I I hear the three preceding Metallica albums, Ride the Lightning, as being kind of icy and arctic and cold and wintry. You know, it's very sharp. Yeah. 
And then you've got um, uh, Master of Puppets, which seems to me to go the other way. It's very sort of soft and uh, not woolly, but uh, um, rounded sort of sounds, you know, kind of, kind of warm. Yeah, there's sounds. a, there's there's a, a huge are... warmth to the whole production of, of the album yeah. that uh -huh. just makes it so listenable, like, you know. And then you move to Injustice for All, which, um, you know, we all know that something went on there. And, uh, you know, it makes a diff, you know, it makes an album, it makes an album a little bit difficult to appreciate. You know, the songs live with the bass turned up um, <laughs> sound great. Um, but so, you know, the preceding three albums have gone through three different. Uh, sounds but i think it's the same engineer was it lars lars fleming uh, yes um yeah flemingson yeah that's it yeah fleming, fleming, uh, yeah Rasmussen. so uh, yeah so i think and you've got to remember like other bands at the time you know um were quite a big band you know they had that and guns and roses and and you know they they, they all had the drives it on you know? yeah and you, you cut out a little bit there uh, but i think you know one of the the main things about this album is james hetfield's rhythm guitar sound i mean that that sound is i mean i don't know how much time they they spent developing that that sound but it's not a sound that i don't think he, ne he necessarily had in the album, albums beforehand, he always had a big sound, but not the the the, the massive warmth of tone that, that he had. And in a lot of ways, I think that this is kind of James Hetfield's album. It kind of made him the the, the rock star that he kind of is is now. Um, a lot of his Hetfieldisms mm. came out in the in this album. You know, because he, I think he relaxed quite a lot into, in, in, into instead of just being the the guitarist and singer of Metallica, he became the kind of the leader of 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 Metallica from from this point. The the main focus of of Metallica from from this point, which I don't think he was he had been necessarily comfortable with. Um, At, you know, at, at times. Um, so, I think, I think really to to sum up this album, I mean, I've been listening to this album for a long time now, and I would still kind of class it as as a as a favorite album. But I have to say that if I'm in a mood to listen to Metallica, it probably wouldn't be the first album. I'd pick up because, you know, I, I can hear these songs kind of on any sort of live recording. Um, but in saying that, I think you still kind of have to recognise it as, as it being one of the one of the best albums and and one of the big, certainly the biggest album kind of of, of our our generation and. You know, at the time it was pretty spectacular the way the way it blew up. You know, um, what's what's your feelings on it? Yeah, so sorry, we just had some uh, technical difficulties there. Um, we were sort of almost like that game show. Like, I've asked my question, the timer's gone, but I'll let you answer type thing. What was that? I can't remember. Mastermind. Mastermind. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So we had some technical problems there, but we've resolved it, and now we've got a beer. So cheers. Let's get back into it, Sharpie. So your your question, I think, was uh, what, what do what do I feel about the album? 
Um, yeah, I think it, it's an epoch-defining album, isn't it? You know, I mean, and I think one of the reasons for that is is actually, like, we were talking about the year and a half video. I mean, you've seen that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah very interesting. And then, like, uh, like, Ross Halflin, the photographer who's, like, seems to have documented everybody, but particularly was recording uh, photographs, uh, really brilliant photographs of, of, of Metallica during, before that time and since, you know, and he's, he's photographed everybody, you know, uh, what's that guy, Johnny Depp and Aerosmith and Soundgarden, everybody's just, and I think, like, when I say epoch defining or sort of like a paradigm shift, like before the Black Album, Metallica, along with all the other thrash bands were kind of like zitty teenagers. And then suddenly they become stadium band mm -hmm. and they're kind of like, they look cool, you know, they look like, like not, not, not fashionable, but they look cool. They've got the sort of the shades, the jeans, they've got Lars's hair. I mean, come on. Well, Lars's apart hair from amazing. Lars's white biker jacket, that is an exception. No, I think that's amazing. Do you not think? <laughs> Especially with that. Oh, come like, on. Holy moly. <laughs> oh, you, you could well, God be able to rock that. I mean, that, I mean, you didn't wear white jeans at the same time, did you? <laughs> no, no. no. Faded denims all the way. Faded denims, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was amazing hair he had. But he doesn't have it now, eh? We <laughs> wee, wee tail. Yeah, no, I just like, um, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the sound, we talked about the sound of the previous albums. Here you've got an album which, it, it just sounds like, as soon as you put it on, in any state, you know, if you've got brilliant, expensive speakers or like shitty, tiny, tinny things, it just sounds boom. And, you know, you know, it it's so it's been played so many times that you don't even you kind of hear you hear it before you hear it if you know what I mean you know yeah. it's almost like you listen to your own heartbeat or something a little bit yeah yeah I mean I was watching something the other day like uh, kind of like this YouTube uh, video like this drummer guy he proclaimed that he'd never heard the song uh, Enter Sandland uh, but you know he listened to it once and then he picked it up and played it in his own jazz way you know it's just kind of like it's embedded in everybody's DNA almost <laughs> I think you know. Um, so yeah, I can't remember. Did you say earlier what you had a favorite song from this album? Um, it changes depending on mood, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, whenever I made room, I've always been a yeah. fan of that because I like the story of the lyrics. You know, yes, yeah. I like the rip that sort of Fijian sort of Egyptian it's, sound. Yeah, it's just such a fun yeah, song yeah, to play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I used to play in a band. I used to play "Sad but True." Uh, a lot and I really like playing that because like, the, one of the reasons we happened to play that song was because we they tuned down to mm -hmm. D and yeah that was a really fun uh, riff to play but if you've seen the what do you call it the year and a half like the, when that riff first started it was kind of like they played it like quite fast so and it kind of like I think Bob Rock said it sounds too bouncy you know mm -hmm. you got to slow this down and then it becomes almost bluesy when they slowed yeah, it down slow it down and there, yeah, there's a scene where James Hetfield's playing, is it like a white Gretsch? Mm -hmm. And it's just got this ridiculously booming sound. You're just playing that mm -hmm. that phrase oh, there. Oh, yes, I remember that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you're just hitting the chord. And it's like the whole room studio shaking. room yeah, yeah. is shaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's just such a. Uh, like an amazing sound album and we, we, we said it earlier in the, in the piece or um, you know it just like in that summer it just well in fact let's just call it <laughs> the whole of the 90s it was everywhere all of the time completely <laughs> you, omnipresent yeah you know uh, <clears throat> uh, I kind of think well, my favourite song I mean I actually think um, uh, Through the Never and um, is it, um, God That Failed they're quite different songs but um, I always remember like Listening in my Walkman with when Through the Never came on, I was like, <laughs> Oh, sorry, no, I've, sorry, I've, I've balled up there. What was it? Um, what's the third song I've forgotten? Oh, we've, we've had a, a mind, a mind fuck there, but um, the third, the third track, which I think was originally going to be the the uh, single, actually, if, if I remember rightly, I thought it was the amazing start. Um, so we've probably mentioned this before, but it's not your favorite album. Um, it's sort of a mood dependent thing. So if you're going out on your bike, Sharpie, what do you take? Do you take Master Puppets or do you take Ride the Lightning, Justice for All, Black Album, Load, Reload, St. Anger, or <coughs> Death Magnetic or Hardwired? What do you think? 
Uh, again, it's all very sort of mood dependent. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's a pissy raining day today and it's going to be a tough cycle, what are you going to do? I, I'd probably take an Unjustice for All. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I dearly. I mean, my favourite probably is Master of Puppets. I think there's mm-hmm. a musical genius behind that yeah, album yeah. that's kind of undeniable that elevated Metallica above a lot of the other thrash bands. And I think yeah. Cliff Burton had a lot to do with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I dis- rediscovered Load mm. um, after S&M. The, some of the best versions of some of those songs, I think, are on, are on S&M. Yeah. Um, I think um, Load is like... I think it's, it's, it's definitely an underrated album. I think, yeah. it, I think it's sort of... Uh, like matured, but I think like if if any other like rock band had put that album out, people would say it'd be a kind of kind of mini classic. Oh but yeah, because because it was Metallica having been the kind of you know heavy metal thrash yeah. titans to go from like a heavy metal thrash sound to definitely a more kind of like rock sound. Yeah, you know, um, for a lot of people it was a bit of a uh, bit difficult to take, but. I, yeah, there's some great songs on it. Yeah, I th- definitely. I think there's some cracking songs. Yeah. The Bleeding Me and mm. um, Outlaw Tor- Outlaw Torrens and the yeah, yeah, songs, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and I just think Two by Four Rips. It, that's is that not on uh, Reload? Two by Four. No. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I think the Devil's Dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they're really, really. I'm really yet to be convinced yeah. by Reload. I have to say. Yeah, I, 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 I had that album and I, I actually had a mini disc. Um, I, I, it just didn't have. It had like. Uh, Devil's Dance and a few other songs but yeah it kind of just sort of drifted but I mean I think that was kind of like the B-sides of Load it wasn't really its own kind of thing yeah yeah so yeah but I mean again there was a kind of a stylistic change there obviously I mean like from from Metallica like yeah, from the Black Album uh, to being the sort of like they must have still been doing stadiums when they did Load eh surely oh yeah 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 absolutely right. when did yeah. you saw Metallica first time uh, two thousand and seven, and the big day out. Two thousand seven? No, I can't be right. First time you saw Metallica. Yeah, was it two thousand seven? No, it must. Do you not see Metallica like in Donington or something? Oh, it was yeah. in 1997. 1997. Yeah, the big day out. Yeah, first time I saw Metallica, I think it was two thousand and three. Oh no, it was yeah. So it was um, right. Death Magnetic. As I saw the saw that tune as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was a big day out. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in Milton Keynes, yeah, it was yeah. a lovely sunny day, mm-hmm. and um, Merciful Fate played, mm-hmm. television yeah. played, uh, cool. it was just, Sepultura were there, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a fantastic day, yeah. and Metallica, that, mm-hmm. you, there is a film of that, that set on, on YouTube, and it is a cracking set, mm-hmm. it's a really good set, yeah. Um did they all have uh, short hair at that one? James Hetfield had his mullet. Did he still have the mullet? Yeah. 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 Shorts and the mullet. Do you think the mullet's going to come back? You know, like a lot of people are like wearing moustaches. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. Mm. the Room 101 with Lars. Oh, this <laughs> white jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the, one of the songs I really like in Load is. Um, uh, Wasting my hate. Yeah, it is. It's a completely underrated album, and like I said, I I went, I kind of fell out of love with it. S and M came along. I thought, ooh, those songs are quite good, aren't well, they? Yeah, I mean, I think like and the, the, it was such a kind of divergence at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, Metallica had decided that they did they want to specifically be a metal band, and then at the same time, like kind of down the coast of California, you had bands like Fear Factory and Strapping Young Lad and, and like Korn yeah. saying, right, we're going to go fucking mega heavy. It's going to be yeah. you know, like super technical, like Fear Factory or like do this kind of new thing, new metal, you know. Because Metallica had done the heavy technical thing, hadn't they? So yeah, yeah, why would you go yeah. back to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of gone back to it, I suppose, with Hardwired. Um, but yeah, like, I suppose... I mean, at the time where, yeah. of of their of their career, where the Black Album sits in their career, yeah, you know, going back to technical, yeah. multi-sectioned yeah. songs yeah, yeah, is yeah. just going back to Injustice for All, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so yeah. 
you know, they're, they're a band, I guess, that always want yeah. to progress. And that's why you end up with this, some would say, bloated sound of 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 the Black Album. Yeah, I, I don't think I would say bloated sound. I, I mean, like, are you talking about the actual uh, uh, acoustics of the of the, the album or like the, the, the songs? How are you meaning? The acoustics. Ah, okay, right, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I no, I definitely wouldn't say they're bloated. I think it sounds. I, I mean, it, it sounds. Well, like, the purists might call it bloated. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah. I'm getting a bit bloated in these beers, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think it, it it sounds. It, it sounds like a million dollars. I mean, it cost a million dollars yeah. or, or more, but it sounds like a million dollars. You know, I, I think the I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we said it earlier in the piece, but like, you know, with Justice for All, it was like right, we've got. We've got a riff, we've got another riff, right? We need another riff to make these two join together. And then we've got another riff. And then we've got a break. Okay, so we'll need something to like break between the mini break, you know? Yeah. And then with with uh like with the black album, you know, obviously Lars said right, we, we can't keep doing this because we can only play like ten songs in the in the show, you know? Um, or even seven or something like that. And then they said, right, okay, let's let's take instead of like making riffs and riffs and riffs and riffs and adding them all up. We'll take one riff, we'll break it apart, yeah. and then build it back up. I think that's the clever. Yeah, it's kind of like a classic kind of blues yeah. like style. Because going things. back to sad but true, you know the you've got that bluesy mm. section, but the the actual rhythm section of that is very very simple. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. But it's it's yeah. control yeah, yeah. of the picking hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it makes that song mm. and it just tightens the whole mm. song up, and it's actually very very clever because. You know, I was kind of obsessed with James Hetfield for a time and mm. learning how it plays parts and the control you need to keep that riff going mm. underneath the vocals mm. yeah. is is very, very skillful, you know? Mm, definitely, yeah. How are you liking this uh, Polish uh, Pivo beer? The Pivo's good. Is this one better than the last one? Or is it yeah, I think it is yeah. a wee bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just top you up there, Mr. Sharp. Thank you. There we go. Booze, broads, and bells, said Bob. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So, final thoughts on the Black Album then, Stuart? Love it, love it, love it, love it. <laughs> yeah, well, essentially, yeah. I mean, it's... It's, it's not going anywhere, is it? <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, I think uh, Push Comes to Shove, you know, my favourite Metallica album, it's, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's uh, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets uh, sort of together. But, I mean... If you're what if you're having a party, if you've got any groups of people around or people who are not so like you know into sort of metal, you can put the black album on and everybody's happy. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you know the, the the you know the chicks that like listening to Katy Perry will still jump up and down. You know, yeah, the you know the what, what would you call it? You know, the Norwegian black metal. You know, bum in the corner will still nod his head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. your dad will love it. it. You know, everybody. You know. It, it just it, it works it's a transcendental album it's a good yeah, word yeah. good word yeah. yeah yeah what about yourself yeah i mean it's it, it's just a stone cold classic now isn't it you know, it's up yeah. there with of our generation you know it's up there with well, your dark side of moon and yeah, dark side yeah, moon yeah. led zeppelin 2 and, yeah. and all those those guys i mean and the record sales mm. tell that yeah. story in itself don't they i think i've got one final thought i'm, I'm pretty sure we sort of we sort of touched on it but when we didn't quite explore it is like you know i'm sure you said earlier like you know metallica is you know in 1981 they come up with kill them all and then you know like a year or two later it's ride the lightning big jump and then from ride the lightning they got uh, to master puppets which again like two or three years later 87 or 88 comes out justice for all so within 10 years they've gone from basically like a kind of like you know shit kicking thrash country metal band to black album and it's such like a like a, a climb of like, you know, you know, the climbing Everest in a one hour almost. It's the, the the jumps in in musical quality uh, of each album is actually staggering. Yeah. So you and have parallel in their career getting yeah, bigger as well. So look at their first album. If you compare, hit the lights to the Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. That is absolutely staggering. Yeah, and then yeah, from yeah. Call of Cthulhu to Orion. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That. Technical, mm-hmm. melodic jump is is absolutely yeah. massive, and I and you're right. I don't think there's a band of their genre that had made those 
not just technical jumps, but melodic yeah. progressions. Well, artistic and commercial jumps at the same yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the only band I can think of, like in recent times, that has not made the same, like definitely not the same uh, artistic uh, moves, but kind of in in the sort of smaller musical sphere that we have nowadays, like made the kind of similar trans, uh, similar. Uh, commercial growth mm-hmm. within 10 years is kind of like ghosts you know they started like 10 years ago as a kind of like you know kind of comedic act you know playing yeah. old source merciful fate style stuff and then you know you know i saw them was it well end of 2019 you know in a stadium yeah and not, not a sta- well you know like a bigger indoor arena I mean, no. Square Hammer should be as big as as Enter Sandman, shouldn't it? What kind a of, song yeah. that yeah, is! Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just yeah. an absolute belter. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like you know maybe Avenged Sevenfold, Bullet for My Valentine. You know, before that, you're talking about kind of your Limp Biscuits and Corns. There's not been any you know that I was just the, I suppose the point I'm trying to say is like Metallica seems to be one of the last sort of bands like rock metal bands that had that kind of like just kind of explosion mm-hmm. of being getting better every day and getting bigger every day. Yeah. You know, there's lots of there's lots of great bands that have, you know, come and gone are still around that have, you know, artistically gotten better and better and better. You know, we've all got our own favourites, but none of no, none of them have got like parallel big commercially, you know, or like, you know, just I mean that's a, a kind of function of the you know, the way that music is you know, distributed and consumed and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to get that in there. Yeah, yeah so, well, that, everybody, is our that take ties on... Up, yeah, that ties up the episode yeah. one, I think, yeah. Our take on the Black Album. Mm. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to, to our thoughts on yeah. it. Um, this was our first time, so be kind to us. <laughs> so yeah. Be gentle. Yeah, yeah, be gentle, yeah. And tune in next time, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we'll um, be posting regular pods, mm. and we'll be exploring not just metal, but... You know, a whole variety of other bits and bobs and mm-hmm. genres of music and yeah. other things that float our boat. So yeah, esoteric thoughts and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we hope you can join us next time. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get my hair cut like uh, Lars Ulrich and get that jacket before the next pod, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cut. Thank you, folks. See you later.